I'm going to learn about podcast hosting. After visiting whatisthepodcastmatrix.com, you won't have to. He was the youngest president ever elected in American history. He was the only Irish Catholic president ever elected. He led the country through the Cuban Missile Crisis, into Vietnam, and into civil rights reform, but was cut down by an assassin's bullet before he finished his first term. This is John F. Kennedy, the 35th president of the United States, and he is the focus of this episode of Presidential Bio. The early years. John F. Kennedy was born on May the 29th, 1917, in Brookline, Massachusetts, which is just outside of Boston. His parents were Joseph Kennedy Sr. and Rose Fitzgerald Kennedy. And both the Kennedy and the Fitzgerald families were wealthy and prominent Irish Catholic families in Boston. Kennedy's paternal grandfather was P.J. Kennedy, and he was a wealthy banker and liquor trader. And his maternal grandfather, John E. Fitzgerald, nicknamed Honey Fitz, was a skilled politician who served as a congressman and also as mayor of Boston. So you know where John F. Kennedy gets his love for politics. Kennedy's father was a successful banker who made a fortune in the stock market after World War I. He would parlay this fortune into real estate holdings such as the Chicago Merchandise Mart. And during Prohibition, he would negotiate distribution contracts of scotch to take effect once Prohibition ended. But some say that Joseph Kennedy started his distribution network before Prohibition ended. He was the sole distributor of Gordon's Gin and Dewar Scotch in the United States. And those were two very popular brands of liquor, and they still are to this day. Joe Sr. also went on to a government career as chairman of the SEC, the Security and Exchange Commission, and then on to the ambassadorship to Great Britain. John F. Kennedy who was also known as Jack to his friends and family and later known as JFK in political circles, was the second oldest in a family of nine kids. His brothers and sisters included people such as Joseph Kennedy Jr., who was a World War II Navy pilot, killed in action in 1944. His sister Eunice Kennedy was the founder of the Special Olympics. His younger brother, Robert Kennedy, was a U.S. Attorney General and also was a candidate for president who was assassinated during his campaign in 1968. And Teddy Kennedy, the long-serving senator from Massachusetts, who also made a run for president in 1980 but was unsuccessful. The Kennedy children, it was a very tight family, and they were very close-knit and very supportive of each other throughout their entire lives. As a child... Jack was a chronically ill child. He suffered from severe colds. He suffered from the flu. He had scarlet fever. And more importantly, he had several severe illnesses that were never truly diagnosed. This forced him to miss many months of school at a time. And occasionally, it actually even brought him to the brink of death. Later on in his life, uh, Kennedy would be diagnosed with a rare illness called Addison's disease. And Addison's disease was an illness that affects your adrenal glands. 
and the production of a hormone called cortisol. And we may hear of cortisol in conversation today. Cortisol is important for your body because it could affect your immune system. It can alter your blood pressure. It can change your metabolism. And this could cause many problems. And Addison's disease was something that was very much kept under wraps when he was president, that he had this illness and really came to light after he was no longer president and had passed away. Joe Sr., John's father, had great expectations for his children. He sought to instill in them a fierce competitive fire and the belief that winning was everything, to win at all costs. Joe Sr. would enter his kids into a variety of competitions from swimming to sailing, and he would give them a hard time if they finished anywhere but first place. Despite his father's constant reprimands and encouragement to succeed, Jack was a poor student, and he was also a very mischievous young man. He attended a Catholic boys boarding school in Connecticut called Canterbury, where he excelled in English and history. And he only excelled in these subjects because he enjoyed them. He nearly flunked everything else. It was all because whatever he had an interest in, he would focus in on, it would absorb all of his time, and he would be successful with it. Now, despite his poor grades, Kennedy continued on his education at a school called Choate. And Choate is a very elite Connecticut Preparatory School. Very well-known people in the Northeast attended Choate. And although Kennedy was brilliant in the subjects he liked, he remained at best a mediocre student, preferring sports, practical jokes, and girls to doing homework. Young adulthood. After graduating from Choate in 1935 and spending one semester at Princeton, Kennedy transferred to Harvard University in 1936. There, he repeated his by then well-established academic pattern where he was excelling occasionally in the classes he enjoyed, but proving only to be an average student in all of the other classes that he participated in. He constantly had this diversion of sports and social engagements as well as women. Kennedy is viewed by his classmates at Harvard as a very handsome man, a very gregarious person, person with a radiant smile. He was incredibly popular with his classmates, but Kennedy is building a reputation again as being a mediocre student and as a womanizer, something that would follow him around. Nevertheless, as an upperclassman, Kennedy finally grows serious about his studies and he begins to realize his potential. His father is appointed ambassador to Great Britain and on an extended visit in 1939, Kennedy decides to do some research and he writes his senior thesis on why Britain was so unprepared to fight Germany in World War II. Now remember, this is 1939 and the war starts in September and he is writing this thesis as the war is starting. It is such an incisive analysis of Britain's failures to meet the Nazi challenge that the paper becomes so well received and he's encouraged to have it published as a book and it, and it does. It becomes a book, and it's titled Why England Slept, and it sells more than 80,000 copies in 1940. Now, Kennedy's father sends him a cablegram, and this shows how much his father loved his children but also encouraged and supported his children. He sends him a cablegram after the book is published, and there is success to the book, that he says, two things I always knew about you. One, that you are smart, and two, that you are a swell guy. Love, Dad showing his support for his son and that he sees a great future for his son. Shortly after graduating from Harvard, Kennedy joins the U.S. Navy. 
He is 24 years old and World War II is on. He is assigned to command a patrol torpedo boat in the South Pacific and the boat is named PT-109. On August the 2nd, 1943, the PT boat is rammed by a Japanese warship and is split in two. Two sailors die and Kennedy, even though he badly injures his back, swims and saves several of the members of his boat. Kennedy is the commander of this boat, and he knows his job is to make sure that his team survive. He gets them to a deserted island where he helps them survive for six days before help can arrive and get them off that island and away from the Japanese. If you've never seen it, there is a movie, and it is just titled PT-109, and it is the Kennedy story about what I just mentioned there, about what goes on, how they survive, and how he makes it through those six days. The incident earns Kennedy notoriety. They feel that he is brave. He is given the Navy and the Marine Corps Medal for extremely heroic conduct and also a Purple Heart for the injuries he suffers. However, Kennedy's oldest brother, who I mentioned earlier, Joseph Kennedy Jr., who had also joined the Navy, was not so fortunate. He was a pilot and he died when his plane blew up in August of 1944. Joseph Kennedy, much like his brother Jack, was handsome, athletic, intelligent, and he was more ambitious than Jack at the time as a younger man. Joseph Kennedy Sr. had pegged Joseph Kennedy Jr. of his children as the one who one day would become president of the United States. Now, in the aftermath of Joe Jr.'s death, this affects the family greatly, and John F. Kennedy really takes his family's hopes and aspirations of his older brother upon his own shoulders and basically dedicates himself to a life of service. He wants to fulfill his father's dream that he would then be president of the United States. Professional life. Upon his discharge from the Navy, Kennedy worked briefly as a reporter for Hearst newspapers. Then in 1946, at the age of 29, he decides it's time to run for office and he runs for the U.S. House of Representatives. He runs from a working class district in Boston, a seat being vacated by a Democrat by the name of James Michael Curley. Now, bolstered by his status as a war hero, his family's connections and his father's wealth, Kennedy won the election easily. However, after the glory and excitement of publishing his first book and making it to Congress, he finds life incredibly dull. Despite serving three terms from 1946 to 1952, Kennedy remained frustrated but by what he saw as stifling rules and procedures that prevented a young, inexperienced representative from making any impact, from accomplishing anything. As he put it in his own words, he said, we were just worms in the house. Nobody paid attention to us nationally. So Kennedy wanted to do something. He wanted to change that. So in 1952, seeking greater influence and a larger platform, Kennedy challenges Republican incumbent Henry Cabot Lodge for his seat in the U.S. Senate. Now, Henry Cabot Lodge, you have to realize at this point, is a senior senator, very well respected across the country. And Kennedy is taking on a big task here to defeat a strong incumbent Republican. But he knows that Lodge is getting older, that he has some weaknesses, and he tries to exploit that. But once again, Kennedy, backed by his father's financial wealth and connections, then creates a plan with his younger brother, Robert, to create this campaign. Robert becomes a campaign manager, and he put together what one journalist called, and I quote, the most methodical, the most scientific, 
the most thoroughly detailed, the most intricate, the most disciplined, and smoothly working statewide campaign in Massachusetts history and possibly anywhere else. In an election year in which the Republicans gain control of both houses of Congress, Kennedy nevertheless wins with a very narrow victory, giving him considerable clout within a decimated Democratic Party. According to one of his aides, the decisive factor in Kennedy's victory was his personality. He was a new kind of politician, not the old stodgy politicians that people were used to, but a young, charismatic guy who had a lot of energy, who was looking to change the world. He was dignified, he was gentlemanly, he was well-educated, and he did not carry this air of superiority. What's interesting, in doing these podcasts of the different presidents, and you can hear a variety of them out on presidentialbio.com, you'll notice that a lot of these presidents, someone like, let's say, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he was criticized many times because he constantly had this air of superiority. So you can imagine a few years later, here comes this young, good-looking, energetic guy who wants to change the world, and it's after World War II, and the people want to see change too. They're excited. It's a new world. It's a new life. And Kennedy takes advantage of that. And Kennedy, shortly after his election, meets a beautiful woman, and she is named Jacqueline Bouvier. And he meets her at a dinner party, and in his own words, he says that, I leaned across the asparagus, and I asked her for a date. And she said, yes, they date for about a year, and they're married on September the 12th, 1953. Jack and Jackie Kennedy have three kids, Caroline Kennedy, John F. Kennedy Jr., and Patrick Kennedy. And what's really sad to note here is that the youngest child, Patrick, is born in August of 1963, but dies two days after his birth from a respiratory disease. To add more pain to the Kennedy family. He dies August of 1963, and his father would die three months later in November of 1963. Kennedy, after he's elected to the Senate, continues to suffer with frequent illnesses. While recovering from one surgery, he wrote another book, profiling eight senators who had taken courageous but unpopular stances in a book named Profiles in Courage, that won the 1957 Pulitzer Prize for biography. And Kennedy remains the only American president to win a Pulitzer Prize. Kennedy's eight-year Senate career was relatively undistinguished. Bored by the Massachusetts-specific issues on which he had to spend most of his time, Kennedy was more drawn to the international challenges posed by the Soviet Union's growing nuclear arsenal and the Cold War battle for the hearts and the minds of third world nations. And Kennedy starts to realize, I want to make a difference. I feel like I've got to take another step. In 1956, Kennedy was very nearly selected as the vice presidential candidate for Adelaide Stevenson, but ultimately was passed over for a gentleman by the name of Estes Kofor from Tennessee. Four years later, Kennedy would decide to run for president. Before we get into the presidency of John F. Kennedy and some great information that I know you're going to enjoy, let's take a quick break. And before I leave you on this break, I'm going to give a little presidential trivia I want you to ponder. We have had two presidents with the last name Johnson. Can you tell me what circumstance put both of them into the presidency? We'll be right back here on Presidential Bio on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Being an outcast isn't something that all of us feel every now and then. It's been the subject of stories forever. 
Take, for example, the X-Men comic book series. In 1963, we were introduced to a number of characters that were different. Super strength, plasma bolts emitted from eye sockets, the ability to read minds, a man that could fly with angel's wings. In 2000, we were introduced to the X-Men on the silver screen. There, Professor X would teach not only his mutant students, but us, as viewers of film, what it meant to be a mutant. There have been more X-Men movies, and even another coming up. But where can you find the best discussion of all of the X-Men movies? Be sure to check out the X-Men Perspective Review Series at twoguystalking.com forward slash X-Men. Bullet point based detailed discussion from fans, fanboys, and mutants just like you. Join in the homo superior discussion at twoguystalking.com forward slash X-Men. That's the number two, guystalking.com forward slash X-Men. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can, with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Editing podcasts can be rough. Everyone knows that you'll spend at least double the time you use creating the podcast when editing it. Then there's the control freak factor and the gotta get it right the first time. Well, it's time to shove all that out the door and make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. The Editor Core is a talented, experienced team of podcast editors that have edited tens of thousands of hours of podcast content, and they're ready for yours now. Check out EditorCore.com because it's time to make your podcast soar. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Conspiracies, by definition, require more than one person to be involved. A rally at the new Two Guys Talking podcast studio has finally made it happen. Two Guys Talking is proud to announce a new program on the Two Guys Talking podcast network. Conspiracy Agents, which will provide outstanding conspiracy and mystery-based content that will bring yet another flavor of podcast-based ice cream to the Two Guys Talking network. Check it all out now at conspiracyagents.com as another new year of captured perspective here at Two Guys Talking begins. That's conspiracyagents.com. Conspiracyagents.com. We are back on Presidential Bio, coming to you from the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. I'm Phil Tracy. When I left you last, I left you with a question to think about. And the question I asked was that we have had two presidents with the last name Johnson. Can you tell me what circumstance put them both into the presidency? Did you come up with an answer? The 
answer is that both Johnsons were vice presidents, and when the president was assassinated, they assumed the position of president. The first was Andrew Johnson, who was vice president under Abraham Lincoln, and the second was Lyndon Baines Johnson, vice president under John F. Kennedy. The Presidency of John F. Kennedy In the 1960 Democratic primaries, Kennedy outmaneuvers his main opponent, Hubert Humphrey, with superior organization and financial resources, and selecting then-Senate Majority Leader Lyndon B. Johnson as his running mate, Kennedy just had to take on the sitting Vice President of the United States in Richard Nixon. This election was very different than elections in the past, and what turned this election in Kennedy's favor was a series of nationally televised debates in which Kennedy bested Nixon. It's a different world. We're looking back in 1960. People are getting TVs in the 1950s. Not every home had them. By the 60s, it's becoming more and more prevalent. And these televised national debates become an ideal forum for people to really meet these candidates that are running for president. The problem is that Kennedy looks young and vibrant and healthy with a big smile. And he seems very energized. Whereas Nixon, even though he is a polished politician, finds the idea of sitting in front of these cameras and these lights very intimidating and you can see his body posture he's not comfortable he's nervous even though he knows the issues he cannot articulate or express himself as strongly as kennedy does on november the 8th 1960 kennedy defeats nixon by a razor-thin margin to become the 35th president of the united states the final votes coming in this election came from illinois right specifically the chicago region if you remember, I mentioned earlier how the Kennedy family had some real estate investments in the Chicagoland area and had some very strong influence in that environment. And that really helped change the outcome of this election. It's also interesting to me to note that in this election of 1960, there were many significant things to take note of. The first is, this is the first time that the 22nd Amendment is put into use. And the 22nd Amendment limits the president to two consecutive terms. So Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was the sitting president, cannot run again. So this opens up the door, the opportunity for Kennedy run for president. This is also the first presidential election in which the states of Alaska and Hawaii can vote. Now, if you're from my generation or a younger generation, that almost seems crazy, right? It seems like such a long time ago because both Alaska and Hawaii became a state in 1959. And this is also the first time a candidate loses the election but carries the majority of the states as Nixon did in this election, winning a majority of the states but not enough of the electoral votes to win the presidency. So Kennedy's election was historic in a couple other respects as well. At the age of 43, he was the second youngest American president in history to serve as president, second only to Theodore Roosevelt, who assumed the office at 42. He was also the first Catholic president and the first president born in the 20th century. Delivering his legendary inaugural address on January the 20th, 1961, Kennedy sought to inspire all Americans to be more active citizens. And you may have heard this before. It is the main line that comes from his inaugural speech in which he says, ask not what your country can do for you, 
ask what you can do for your country. Kennedy's greatest accomplishments during his brief tenure as president came in the arena of foreign affairs. He capitalized on the spirit of activism and he helped to create the Peace Corps by executive order in 1961. By the end of the century, over 170,000 Peace Corps volunteers would serve in 135 countries. Pretty amazing numbers for a guy that just came up with this idea on how the U.S. could make a bigger impact on the world. And it's amazing to see 170,000 volunteers that would help out in so many different ways. Also in 1961, Kennedy creates the Alliance for Progress to foster greater economic ties to Latin America in hopes of alleviating poverty and thwarting the spread of communism in that region. He was very aware on international affairs, how strong the U.S. was, and how weak at the time the economies of many of Latin American countries were. And he did have this fear that we would fall back into another world war or these countries would just fall to communism because it seemed easier. And he was willing to stand up and fight for these countries and build a coalition to help these countries out. Kennedy also presided over a series of international crises. On April the 15th, 1961, he authorized a covert mission to overthrow leftist Cuban leader Fidel Castro with a group of 1,500 CIA-trained Cuban refugees. This is known as the Bay of Pigs invasion. The mission proved to be an unmitigated failure, and this caused Kennedy great embarrassment. Also that year, in August 1961, to stem the massive waves of emigration from Soviet-dominated Eastern Germany to America-allied West Germany via the divided city of Berlin, Nikita Khrushchev, who was the communist dictator of Russia, orders the construction of the Berlin Wall, which became the foremost symbol of the Cold War. So you can see what Kennedy's dealing with here. He has got communism in Cuba right off the shore of America, 90 miles away. He's got what is now our biggest adversary in Russia, building this wall to contain people to live in a communist environment, really going against everything Kennedy fought for in World War II. And he he really takes this personally, and he wants to make a difference in the world. As he's viewing this, these two issues, right? He's got Cuba and he's got Russia. Well, combine the two, and he comes up with the greatest crisis of the Kennedy administration. This is the Cuban Missile Crisis in October of 1962. U.S. intelligence discovers that the Soviet Union had sent ballistic nuclear missiles to Cuba. Kennedy decides he's going to blockade the island and vow to defend the United States at any cost. After several of the most intense days in American history, during which the world seemed on the brink of nuclear annihilation, the Soviet Union agrees to remove the missiles in return for Kennedy's promise that he would not invade Cuba and that the Americans would remove missiles from Turkey. And Kennedy agrees. And the whole issue is calmed. And this was something that really embraced the whole world. The whole world was watching this situation, was watching this standoff. And Kennedy stood strong and protected the United States and the Russians backed down. Now, eight months later, in June of 1963, Kennedy successfully negotiates the limited nuclear test ban treaty with Great Britain and the Soviet Union helping to ease the Cold War tensions. It was one of those steps that he felt was moving America and democracy into the limelight 
to help educate people around the world on what freedom is like and maybe help these smaller countries avoid moving toward communism. President Kennedy's record on domestic policy was rather mixed. Taking office in the midst of a recession, he proposed sweeping income tax cuts, raising the minimum wage, and instituting new social programs to improve education, healthcare, and mass transit. And what's interesting is that doesn't sound much different than today, right? People are talking about, hey, how do we cut taxes? How do we raise the minimum wage? How do we improve education and healthcare? However, Kennedy is hampered with poor relations within Congress. Kennedy ends up only achieving part of his agenda. He gets a modest increase in the minimum wage, and he does get some tax cuts put through. But these tax cuts are enough to help mobilize a stagnant economy in which it improved job opportunities and Wall Street investment. So in that regard, he did improve the economy through tax cuts. The most contentious domestic issue of Kennedy's presidency was, without a doubt, civil rights. Constrained by Southern Democrats in Congress who remained stridently opposed to civil rights for black citizens, Kennedy offered only tepid support for civil rights reforms early in his term. Nevertheless, in September of 1962, Kennedy sends his brother, Attorney General Robert Kennedy, to Mississippi to use the National Guard and federal marshals to escort and defend civil rights activists James Meredith, as he becomes the first black student to enroll at the University of Mississippi on October 1st, 1962. Near the end of 1963, in the wake of the March on Washington and Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech, Kennedy finally sends a civil rights bill to Congress. One of the last acts of his presidency and of his life, Kennedy's bill would eventually be passed as the landmark Civil Rights Act in 1964. In November 1963, President Kennedy flies to Dallas, Texas for a campaign appearance. Kennedy, along with his wife and Texas Governor John Connolly, rode through cheering crowds in downtown Dallas in a Lincoln Continental convertible on the morning of November the 22nd. From an upstairs window of the Texas School Book Depository Building, a 24-year-old warehouse worker named Lee Harvey Oswald a former Marine with Soviet sympathies, fired upon the car, hitting the president twice. Kennedy dies at Parkland Memorial Hospital shortly thereafter at the age of 46. There have been a number of conspiracy theories debated over the years, but one thing is clear. John F. Kennedy was killed with two different caliber bullets, meaning that there was a second gunman beyond Lee Harvey Oswald. Legacy. To the American public, as well as his first historians, John F. Kennedy is a hero, a visionary politician who, if not for his untimely death, might have averted the political and social turmoil of the late 1960s. In public opinion polls, Kennedy consistently ranks with the likes of Thomas Jefferson and Abraham Lincoln as among the most beloved American presidents of all time. Critiquing this outpouring of adoration, many more recent Kennedy scholars have derided Kennedy's womanizing and lack of personal morals and argued that as a leader, he was more style than substance. But in the end, no one can ever truly know what type of president John F. Kennedy would have become or the different course history might have taken had he lived beyond the 46 years of age and served a second term. 
It's interesting to me, as we discuss presidents, that we can find a parallel amongst presidents, some of them such as John F. Kennedy and Teddy Roosevelt. The two youngest presidents, both known by their initials, JFK and TR, both from prominent East Coast families, wealthy upbringings, they had poor health as children, both educated at Harvard, both of them served the U.S. military during wartime, but both felt the need to serve the U.S. in various government posts. Both fought for the little guy, but also felt the importance to support businesses and commerce to strengthen the economy. Both believed in a strong military and both had great international achievements. Yet they served from different parties. They had the same common goal of strengthening the United States and the American people, leaving a legacy of accomplishment and a successful blueprint for other presidents to follow. For Presidential Bio, I'm Phil Tracy.